All right, well, we're going to get into the preaching of the Word today, and we are starting a new teaching series today that is going to be our summer teaching series. So for the next seven weeks, we are going to be teaching on this idea of the great I am, the great I am. In the Gospel of John, Jesus made seven I am declarations, and so we're going to spend seven Sundays breaking down each one of those seven I am declarations. So basically, we just spend the summer just looking to Jesus and just soaking in who Jesus is and in all the different ways that, that he shows himself in our lives, all the different ways that, that he meets our needs and ministers to our soul. That's, that's what this summer is going to be all about. In our rooted Bible reading, I believe next month in July, we're going to start reading the Gospel of John together. So it'll all kind of tie together as we preach from the Gospel of John, as we read it together in our rooted Bible reading, and as we just lift up Jesus as the great I am in our lives. That's what we're going after together. So today... I'm going to do the introduction and the first I am statement. And so I got I to budget my time well here today. But uh, I want to take some time to do the introduction to just really lay the foundation of, of why this declaration of I am is so important and what it means biblically and, and what it means in our lives. And so to understand this declaration I am, we're going to start in Exodus chapter 3, which, oddly enough, we'll be reading on Tuesday in our rooted calendar. Um, but this is where it starts. Exodus chapter 3, this is the story of the burning bush, right? So Moses is out in the desert of Midian. He's tending to the sheep. And then he sees a bush that's on fire, but the fire is not consuming the bush. And he says, this is an interesting thing. Let me go look at this. And he goes to look, and God begins to speak to him from the burning bush. And God gives him a calling, says, you're going to be the deliverer of my people out of Egypt. And so in the midst of this calling, Moses asks this question in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Right? So Moses is like, I don't know your name. I know your God. But when they ask me who sent me, what am I going to say? And this is God's answer. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, this is what you shall say to the sons of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So God declares to Moses that his name is I am. Right? I mean, it's an interesting name, but that is God's name. And if we look at the Hebrew of, of what God actually said, the root word is hayah, like a karate chop. Hayah. All right. The root word is hayah, which means to be or to become. But the word that God used was the first person of that root word, which would be aye, I am. Here's where it gets interesting. What's the third person version of that root word? It's Yahweh, which means he is. And those of you that know your Bible know that Yahweh is the name of the Lord in the Old Testament. If you're ever reading the Old Testament and you read the word Lord and all four letters are capitalized, 
That's the word Yahweh. That's what you're reading. The personal name of God is Yahweh. So basically what happens is God reveals himself to people and in a, in a personal encounter tells them, my name is Aye, I am. And so they call him Yahweh, he is. So anytime somebody has a personal encounter with God, they know his name. Now when you're reading the Bible, there's the general name of God which in the Hebrew is Elohim. And this is interesting because that word is plural, right? God always exists in the plural. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. So Elohim is a plural word. So anytime in the Old Testament that you read the word God, it's Elohim. Anytime you read the word Lord, where all four letters are capitalized, it's Yahweh. So you have the general name of God, Elohim, and you have the personal name of God, Yahweh. Why am I talking about this? Because when you read the book of Genesis, which we've just done for the last couple of months in our rooted Bible reading, the patriarchs called God by his personal name, Yahweh. It started in Genesis chapter 4 in the days of Enosh. Remember, we had Adam and Eve, who may have called him Yahweh, but the Bible doesn't tell us. And then they had Cain and Abel, which didn't work out so well. And so then they had Seth. Seth had a son named Enosh. And in Genesis 4.26, it says, In the days of Enosh, people began to call on the name of the Lord, Yahweh. So that's the first mention of it. People began to call on the name of the Lord. Then we have Noah. Noah had a personal encounter with God, and, and God made covenant with Noah. And in Genesis 9.26, Noah calls him Yahweh. And then we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Each one of them individually has a personal encounter with God where God makes covenant with them. And then you can see all the scriptures listed where each one of the patriarchs called him Yahweh. Right? You guys see the pattern. You have a personal encounter with God. You know his personal name. Well, after Jacob, starting with the sons of Jacob, all the way until Moses, so we're talking about 400 plus years of slavery in Egypt, none of the children of Israel ever say Yahweh. We just read this as we just read the story of Joseph and his brothers in the book of Genesis. Never in that story does Joseph or any of his brothers say the name Yahweh. They always say Elohim, the generic name of God. So for 400 plus years, nobody had a personal encounter with God. And you can imagine 400 years, multiple generations living in Egypt, that they may have adopted some of the pagan gods of Egypt. They may have been drawn into some of that pagan worship. And so for over 400 years, nobody makes a personal expression to God until the burning bush. And God is reintroducing himself personally to Moses and by extension to the children of Israel. Moses says, what's your name? I don't know what to call you. And God says, my name is I am. You call me I am or Yahweh. And Moses, of course, wrote the first five books of the Bible. And you see Moses writing the name Yahweh continuously throughout all five books because Moses had this personal encounter with God. And so as I studied this, the Lord spoke to me a prophetic word for the church. And that prophetic word is, don't have an Elohim relationship with a Yahweh God. 
or in English, don't have a generic relationship with a personal God. From the days of Genesis until today, God encounters people personally, and he introduces himself. And now we don't use the name Yahweh. We get to use the name Jesus, but we get to know him personally. And so if you're like, yeah, I believe in God. I come to church. That's all good. But you never move beyond having a generic relationship with God. You're missing out on the very purpose of your existence, which is to connect personally with the God of the universe and how mind-blowing that is. Don't have a generic relationship with a personal God. So I'm going to skip down now to Jesus, and we're going to tie this together, Jesus as the great I am. John chapter 8, Jesus has a showdown with the religious leaders. Like if you ever think that Jesus was like this uh, this timid, you know, little hippie on the fringes that, that, you know, just lived in the desert with his 12 buddies. Read John chapter 8. There is nothing timid about Jesus. He takes on the entire religious institution and has a full-on confrontation with them. And in this confrontation, they're like, our father is Abraham. And Jesus is like, no, your father is the devil. And he's the father of lies. And whenever you speak, you sound like the devil, right? I mean, he was having a full-on confrontation with the religious leaders. And they're going back and forth with him. And in that back and forth here, we're going to pick it up at the very end where they talk about, you can't be greater than our father Abraham, right? For Jewish people, it was like God and Abraham, right? That was, that, that was how they viewed things when it came to their lineage. And here's this guy, Jesus, who's putting himself above Abraham. And they're like, you can't do that. You can't think you're greater than our father Abraham. And this was Jesus' answer. Your father Abraham, you notice how he says your father, not my father Abraham? Your father Abraham was was overjoyed that he would see my day, and he saw it and rejoiced. Jesus is implying that Abraham, way back in the book of Genesis, was, was given the promise of the Messiah and had a vision of the Messiah, and he saw it and he rejoiced. Now, the Jews didn't like this, so the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? They're like, how could you be talking about Abraham like you know him personally? You're not, you're not a thousand years old. And here's the kicker. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, if you're reading the gospel of John and you read truly, truly, that means Jesus is about to say something really important, okay? Depending on your Bible translation, they don't all say truly, truly, but you get me. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born... I am. Come on. Before Abraham was born, I am. Now, this is written in Greek, not Hebrew. And in the Greek, it's ego eimi. Ego eimi. I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and left the temple grounds. So Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Right? He's got his tense of all of his verbs wrong, right? An English teacher would just be so upset right now that your tenses don't match up. Abraham was. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, listen, Abraham was created. He had a beginning and he had an end. 
But Jesus said, I am, ego eimi, which literally in the Greek means I exist. He's saying, I have no beginning and no ending. I am eternally present. I am always right here. I am always in the moment. I am always right in the middle of your time. I am. And what was Jesus doing with that declaration, I am? He was making himself equal with Yahweh. And this is one of the clearest declarations by Jesus that he is God. Right? Some people try to claim that Jesus never thought he was God. That his followers actually made it up and invented a religion that Jesus never intended. But Jesus multiple times declared that he was God. But this is the most clear one of all. I am relating himself back to Yahweh of the Old Testament. And the Jews knew exactly what he was saying. Why? Because immediately they wanted to execute him. They picked up rocks to stone him because he had just blasphemed by calling himself God. So we've got this connection, Yahweh, this personal God that introduces himself as the I am. And now here we have Jesus who shows up and says, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is the great I am. That is the foundation of our teaching series, and that is the significance of the name I am in our lives and in studying the Bible. Are you guys with me? Whoo! That was some nerd stuff right there, man. We were, we were digging into that, but God was challenging us. That's right, nerd. All right. Don't have a generic relationship with a personal God. Jesus wants to reveal himself to you personally. He wants to walk with you. He wants to be intimately involved in your life. Don't just stand back and go through the motions and have an Elohim relationship. Give yourself to the personal relationship with the great I am. All right. Now we're going to get into our notes for part one. The first I am declaration that Jesus makes in the gospel of John is I am the bread of life. And so if you've got your notes, they're in your bulletin. You can also find them on the church app. They're attached to this video on our website, or they're attached to this audio podcast if you're listening to this. Here's our big picture point today. Jesus invites us to come to him as the bread of life, and he will be the source of everything that sustains us. That's what we're going after today. There is an invitation to come. Right? Just because you're in church doesn't mean that you've come to the bread of life. We've got to answer the invitation to come. And so our passage is in John chapter 6. And you can see in your notes that as we read through this passage, we're going to break down some key themes that Jesus really draws out. And just like in John chapter 8 where he has this confrontational back and forth with the religious leaders... Here in John chapter 6, he's having a back and forth with a group of people, but it's not combative. These people are genuinely wanting to understand things. They're not being combative with him. And so this is a much nicer back and forth. But Jesus, being the master communicator, is actually leading these people right to the place where he wants them, where he then springs his big aha moment. So we're going to follow along in this back-and-forth conversation as we see Jesus lead people right to this moment. So here we are, John chapter 6. 
We're going to start in verse 26. Uh, what is happening right now? Um, uh, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. Right? So that miracle just took place. And then after feeding the 5,000, Jesus walked across the lake without a boat. Right? And so people are confused. Where did Jesus go? There's no boat that left the dock, but Jesus is gone. So they all go across the lake, and they find Jesus on the other side of the lake. And as this crowd is like, Jesus, how did you get here? This is where we're picking up the conversation, all right? Verse 26 Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, he's about to say something important. I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate some of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. So the first theme that I want to look at here that Jesus is teaching the people is moving from temporary desires to eternal confidence. Moving from temporary desires to eternal confidence. Let's go back to verse 26, Andrew. Jesus says, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate some of the loaves and were filled, right? This was all the same crowd of people that had just miraculously all eaten from five loaves of bread. And now they're looking for Jesus, and Jesus is telling them, you're looking for me for the wrong reasons. You're looking because you want another meal. You want your belly full again. You liked that bread. You come for more bread, right? They were coming for temporary things. They were coming for things that really only mattered right now. And Jesus is trying to shift them to more important things, to eternal things. He says, not because you saw signs. Now, they all saw the miracle, right? They all saw this, these five loaves never disappear as, as the people were being fed. But when Jesus says, not because you saw the signs, is what they missed in the miracle is that the miracle was the sign that God's seal was upon Jesus as the Messiah. As they were eating their bread, it should have been dawning on them, this is the Messiah. But they didn't see the sign, they were just enjoying the bread. They were getting caught up in temporary desires instead of recognizing that something eternal was standing right in front of them. And you'll find as we get further into this teaching that Jesus' whole goal was to get them to find their confidence in eternal life. That's why he says in verse 27, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life. D.L. Moody, the great preacher and evangelist, he said it like this. Jesus is the bread of life. If we receive him into our hearts, we shall never be hungry for anything else. So why does this matter? Why does Jesus want to shift us from just eating the bread and missing the sign to being confident in the eternal life of the bread of life? Because when we get focused on temporary needs we start looking other places to get those needs filled. We're sheep, right? Jesus said we're sheep. And sheep are prone to wander. 
And so if we're just focused on getting our temporary desires met, we're going to wander and we're going to look to things of the world to meet our needs. Relationship, food, sex, this is the root of addiction, right? For those of us that have addiction in our DNA, we start looking for things to numb the pain or meet our needs, and we become addicted to those things because we didn't trust in the bread of life for our eternal needs. Move from temporary desires to eternal confidence. So let's go to verse 28 now, and let's see the first question that Jesus evokes out of them. Therefore, they said to him, what are we to do so that we may accomplish the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So our second theme here is moving from works to dependence, right? The Jewish people were a works people. Right? They had a very specific law. They had a very specific way they had to worship God, come before God, present their offerings to God, present their sacrifices to God. They were a very works-related people. And so Jesus says, don't focus on the temporary desires. Focus on the bread that gives eternal life. And because of their nature as Jews, their very first question is, what do we do it's not the first time Jewish people or the last time asked him this question or asked others this question. If you guys remember the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches the gospel, and what's their first response? What do we do? They're asking, what are the works that we need to do so that we know that we're doing the works of God? What do we do? And Jesus' answer in verse 29 is, don't do anything, just believe in me. He's wanting to shift them from a works mindset to a dependence mindset. That we wouldn't look to works to make us right with God or to feel like we're being godly or righteous, but that we would look to our dependence on Jesus that would make us godly and righteous. Not that we're lazy. We work hard, but we don't work hard for salvation. We work hard to honor the kingdom of God. So we need to shift from works I do this to feel better about myself. I do this uh, to make sure I'm right with God. I do, you know, to, I do this to get along with people. No. Just lean into Jesus. Depend on him. And then the works that you do will flow from the bread of life. What works do we do? Jesus says, just believe in me. So they asked him another question. Verse 30. So they said to him, what then are you doing as a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work, there we are, these guys are works dependent, right? What work are you performing? Now, these guys clearly are missing the points because Jesus just said, you didn't see the sign when I fed all 5,000 of you. And now he's saying, believe in me. I am the Messiah. I am the one that God has sent. Believe in me. And they're like, well, what sign are you showing us so that we can believe you're the Messiah? I could just see Jesus' frustration. The one I was just talking about. I fed all 5,000 of you. Right? But they're like, if we're going to believe in you, we need a sign. Because they go on to say, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Right? Now, when they say he in this statement, 
They're actually referring to Moses. This was Moses' sign that Moses was the leader of Israel because Moses gave them manna. Jesus answers them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Right? He's saying, you think Moses performed that sign? No, my Father performed that sign. And my Father is the one who sent me. And there is a bread that comes from heaven that gives life to the whole world. Now he's got them right where he wants them. And they make the statement that he was waiting for them to make. Verse 34, then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. There's a bread from heaven that gives life just like our fathers ate manna in the wilderness and it sustained them for 40 years in the wilderness. Now there's a new bread that's going to give us life. Lord, we want that bread. And then Jesus springs his trap on him. Are you guys ready for it? Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am, ego eimi, I exist to be the bread that has come down from heaven. Amen? The one who comes to me will not be hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have indeed seen me, and yet you do not believe. Right? They see Jesus in the flesh. They've seen him turn five loaves into feeding 5,000 people. And he says, yet you do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I certainly will not cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of everything that he has given me, I will lose nothing, but I will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Right? Eternal confidence. He wants them to know there's a bread that gives eternal life. And I am that bread. And I will raise you up on the last day. Our third theme here that we pick up from Jesus is moving from seeing to believing. He said, you've seen me, but you don't believe. Believe in me. Well, how do we know that they don't believe, right? Believing is like mental assent, right, or mental consent. It's, it's saying, yes, this computes in my brain. I get it. I trust in it. I am making a mental choice that, yes, I believe this. So how can Jesus know that they're not believing? Well, of course, number one, Jesus knows all the thoughts of man, so he knows what's going on in our heads. But number two, because Jesus is teaching them that there is an outward expression of an inward belief. He relates belief to two different things. One, in verse 35, he says, the one who comes to me will not be hungry, and the one who believes in me will not be thirsty. So what is he equating? Believe in me and come to me. So how do we know that we believe in Jesus? Because we come to him. We trust him with all of our needs, with all of the moments of our life. 
to get the source of everything we need. We come to him. We come to him when we start our day because we need his bread for the day. We come to him at the end of our day to thank him for the bread that we had another fruitful day in his kingdom. We come. And the second thing Jesus is teaching here is that he does the will of the Father. So what does it mean to believe? It means to obey. He says you'll know you're believing when you're obeying. He goes on later in the Gospel of John to say, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Right? So how do we know we believe him? How do we know we love him? Because we obey the will of the Father. So to believe is to obey is to come. And Jesus invites them to come to the bread of life. Everyone who comes to me will never hunger. Are you guys with me? And our last theme is balancing the sovereignty of God with human will. Right? Jesus says, God is giving me people as a gift. Right? He says, it's God's will that everyone would believe in me. But he still says, you have to come. So we are an Arminian church. What that means is that most churches fall in one of two theological camps, either Calvinist or Arminian. We fall in the Arminian camp. The Calvinist camp would be like Baptists, Reformed theologians. Those are Calvinists. What's the difference? Calvinists believe that God's sovereignty is all there is. So if you get saved, it's because God chose If you go to heaven, it's because God chose. If you go to hell, it's because God chose. God's sovereignty is everything. For us as Arminians, we believe in the balance between God's sovereignty and our human will. God chose, but we still have to choose also. So God chose us for salvation, but we have to choose to come. Are you guys with me? So it's this balance. Jesus says, God has given you to me as a gift but you still have to choose to come to the bread of life. So what does it mean that Jesus is the bread of life? Jesus as the bread of life, number one, accepts us. In verse 37, he says, anyone who comes to me, I certainly will not cast out. Come on, he's not going to reject anyone that comes to him. As the bread of life, he will accept every person, no matter how broken you are, no matter what you look like, no matter how many awful things you've done, no matter how much time you've wasted, it doesn't matter. The moment you choose to come to the bread of life, he will accept you just as you are. That is the beauty of the gospel. Hallelujah. Come on. I came to him as a a college dropout, convicted felon, drug addict, and he accepted me. He didn't turn me away. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, as the bread of life, nourishes us. It's one of our key words for the year that's on the wall over here, to be nourished. Right? When we think of visions or uh, pleas for help from developing nations or nations that are experiencing famine, what do we see? We see people in malnourishment. They don't have grain. They don't have bread. They don't have what they need. They're malnourished, and that malnourishment takes effect on their mental health, on their bodies. You can see things in their body that just tell you that they're sick, and things are not okay. We do not want to be malnourished Christians. 
The bread of life invites us to come to him, and we can feed off of his bread. Not just the bread we eat every day for our meals that only lasts for today, but we get to feed off the bread that lasts forever. And he's going to nourish us, the needs of our heart and our soul, our emotional needs, our mental needs, our, our, our struggles and our doubts and everything. We come to him, and he nourishes us. I want to encourage you to learn to come to the bread of life. If you have not done the masterpiece process with us, I want to invite you to. In the masterpiece process, we're going to teach you how to practice the daily office so that you can come to the bread of life. We're going to teach you how to live in the rhythms of the rule of life so that you can live your days in the rhythm of the love of God as you learn to feed off of the bread of life. He nourishes us. He has everything we need. We don't have to look anywhere else to meet our needs. The great Billy Graham said it like this, the bread of life is Christ's gift to satisfy the hunger of our souls. Nothing else can truly nourish us and bring us lasting joy. How about Charles Stanley, the great teacher? When you have Christ, you have the bread of life, and you are satisfied regardless of your circumstances. No matter what's happening in your life, things could be falling apart. Somebody might have hurt you. You might have lost a loved one. You still have the bread of life, which means you have the nourishment that you need. Jesus, as the bread of life, fulfills us. He says, anyone who believes in me will never thirst. You'll be fulfilled, right? All of your desires, the things that you long to do with your life, when you desire carnal things and then you finally accomplish them, the great trick is it doesn't satisfy you. You're like, man, I worked my whole life for this goal, and it didn't matter. But when you pursue the things of the kingdom and you begin to accomplish the things of the kingdom, there is a fulfillment within you that my life matters and I'm doing something that matters. Come on, raising children, one of the greatest callings God has ever given us. My life matters because I'm raising children to know the Lord. He fulfills us. Come on, Jesus is the eternal reservoir. He's always ready to quench our thirst for purpose and fulfillment. And finally, he preserves and protects us, right? He says, I will never uh, lose you. I will never lose you. He says, I'm going to raise you up on the last day. Let me have the worship team come back up as we wrap up today. I will never lose you. Ravi Zacharias, the, the theologian of our generation, says God does not save us to abandon us. He saves us to transform us, keep us, and present us faultless before his presence. Come on, if you come to the bread of life, he won't reject you. He's going to accept you. And then once he accepts you, he's not going to lose you. Now, again, the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism, Calvinism believes that once you get saved, you're always saved. It never goes away. Arminianism believes that you can walk away from your faith. But here's the thing. People say, well, can you lose your salvation? Can you lose your faith? And the answer is no, because Jesus has promised he will never lose you. You're not going to lose your faith. You're going to make a willful choice to walk away from it. And that's different. But as long as you're coming to the bread of life, Jesus says, I will never lose you. 
right? I am going to protect you. I am going to preserve you. I'm going to keep you to the very last day, and then we're all going to stand together in glory. We can be confident in that. Hallelujah. So what does it take? Jesus says you just got to believe. How do we know we believe? Because we're coming to the bread of life every day as the source of everything we need. How do we know we believe? Because we're living our life to do the will of the Father. And so I want to invite you today to come to the bread of life. I want to invite you today. We're going to pray in a few minutes. And when we pray, if you're struggling with any of those three things, I'm struggling to believe in him. I just don't know if I trust that he's God. I don't know if I trust that he's going to meet my every need. I don't know. Come for prayer today. If you're struggling with coming to him, like I get it. I get the gospel. I get the love of God. I get it. But I just, something is stopping me every day from coming to him and coming to the bread of life. Then come for prayer today. We want to pray with you. Or you're struggling to do the will of the Father. I've given my life to Jesus, but I just keep going back to making the same destructive mistakes, and I'm not being obedient. Come for prayer today. The bread of life is here. He invites us.